0: Do you know what Nemesis means? Hello and welcome to Direct, the podcast takes a direct trajectory through a director's filmography. I'm Eric. I'm Levi. Curious George in the Case of the Buttons was the movie we watched this week. <laughs> it was a lot shorter than I thought it would be, and I also didn't think it would be animated, but it was good. Uh... I really love how they did the yellow yeah, hat. Yeah, the yellow looked the great. The CGI of the yellow hat was really good. Nah, we're just joking. Curious Case of Benjamin Button is the movie we watched this week. Levi, tell us about this film from Fincher. I'm going to sum
1: it up using Marissa Gabriel on IMDb. Mm-hmm. Benj- the Curious Case of Benjamin Button follows Benjamin, a man who starts aging backwards with bizarre consequences. And I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I loved mm. it. Um, I remember watching it the first time and thinking it was great. And I've since entered a different part of my life. And this movie hits just as hard. Yeah. I really, there's so much going on here. There's so much I'm excited to talk about. I don't think I'd put it down as Fincher's best movie, but this is such a, a fantastic series of vignettes. Mm. That just strike some of my favorite chords.
0: Levi are you romantic?
1: I'm a little bit of a... no, you know this to be true. I you're a romantic. Jesse had me aren't you? preside over his wedding and I practically cried the whole time as I tried to get my words. You're way a through big softy. A- I'm a huge softie, and now that I have a baby and I'm sitting here watching Old Man Baby (laughs) doing all of the cute things that my baby does, and then when he's an old man baby and he dies, I just, you know, just seeing him snuggled up, oh my god. This, I am an emotional (laughs) wreck just generally Uh
0: in life, and this one just played me like a fiddle. That is interesting. That's really interesting. I watched this one with my wife. It's actually one of the few direct movies that we've watched together um, she's not a huge fan of serial killers or <laughs> gang violence or <laughs> definitely a change in yeah, tone it's, from what we've been watching this is the softest movie I think we've watched in our entire run of direct I mean going through Tarantino Edgar Wright Edgar Wright's got some romance uh, Guillermo del Toro's got some like romance wrapped with monsters and blood uh, this was one that we just sat down and kind of watched together, and she got she loved it, and I was like, "This is a romantic movie," and it's so weird to me that Fincher made this. Like, <laughs> go from Zodiac to this, and go from the, his entire filmography: go from Alien Three to Seven to the Game to Fight Club to Zodiac. Uh, skipped Panic Room, and then you throw in the Curious Case. Of a Benjamin Button,
1: of one Mister, of one Mister Benjamin Button.
0: Um, I thought it was a, I thought it was a, a strange departure for one David Fincher. I think it's
1: not as much if after listening to him talk and listening to interviews, mm-hmm. um, and I was listening to one that was I believe it was in the commentary for seven. Yeah. Uh, he talks about. Not directing a film, but directing scenes. Uh-huh. And I think this movie feeds perfectly into a guy who came out of doing uh, music videos. This is a series of scenes. These are all encapsulated stories with the one thread of Brad Pitt just getting handsomer over time. <laughs> uh, While well, you watch Kate Blanchett age, but still look super attractive uh, you know it's as much about the characters that Button interacts with as it is about him and we get to the end and he make they make a point out of that when they talk about the artists and the dancers and the singers mm-hmm. and those who make Button you know he goes through these characters that he interacted with uh, one that I thought was really interesting and and what it, and really well done was the, the Bushman, uh, uh mm-hmm. Ota. Uh, he was such a magnificent character that comes in so early and is foreshadowing of the life that Benjamin will lead this one of stories. He becomes a storyteller in the end yeah. where he has these moments and I'm a sucker for that as a, as a mechanism. When you get to the, the end of, Blade Runner and spoiler alert as the Android is shutting down he talks about what is lost when he dies the fact that he has experienced things that no one else has he has seen these things and yeah. when he dies his memories are lost like tears in the rain and that's really powerful that's a fantastic uh, summary of what human life is we We become these individuals and we have these individual experiences. And in the end, it just, you know, it goes with you. You leave what little behind that you were able to impart on others. But the majority of it's lost and it's beautiful. This film makes a huge point out of you just have to let go. And I'm literally in the back of my throat, like, uh, thinking about
0: that. Like, it's... Well, you're... You, as know, someone, you just had a baby. You're.
1: I know. I have a baby. Yeah. I have aging parents. Mm-hmm. I consider my own mortality yep. on a regular basis. And it's, you know, it's, it's nice. It's a good message. Yeah. I don't know.
0: I'm a huge softie in this... Movie just hit me at a really good time. (laughs) Well, I really like the whole segment about... uh, Actually, he starts his diary where he says, you know, like, I'm going to be gone, and my stories are all that I have, and so that's what I'm committing to paper. That's a really interesting thing to think about, is that's how you... I mean, they kind of touched on immortality in that way. That's how you can carry your story forward is by documenting it and sending it forward. We're all doing that on Instagram now. So, we're immortalizing ourselves <laughs> on Instagram, but um but I thought that was nice. I thought that was a nice way to to do that. I don't know. I was I was looking up uh or I OT, what was his name? OT Uh, Ota, Ota. I mean, I believe was his name. I I thought that I, I loved his character. I thought he was a really fun character, but I couldn't get over the sadness of the human zoo experience, which was like a real thing that happened. Yeah, that was
1: there was a little the Amazon X-ray kicked up a little anecdote about how that's a true story. We put somebody in a zoo cage and he flung arrows at passers.
0: Well, there was a guy named Ota Benga, and. In this this story, his name is Ot OtI. That's how he's credited. So he's probably a uh, a the the movie character is probably an allegory to the real life Otabenga, who was exhibited in a zoo each afternoon during September in the Bronx Zoo, and they would file their teeth down to points like he had. I mean, this is uh, I thought it was interesting to see kind of how this movie played with history a little bit and really went through each of the eras uh, using a little bit of, you know, some heavy handed techniques, but for the most part, um, uncovering some stuff that maybe isn't really brought to the forefront. Uh, And I thought that was one of them. It's like, there is like that horrific idea that like we were exhibiting people in zoos uh, at world's fairs and stuff like that. um, Dehumanizing them in that way. Uh, but uh but there were some kind of interesting it was an interesting walk through the 20th century in some other ways yeah and visually
1: architecturally through music mm-hmm. they did take us the the passage of time was very evident and very i think very well done and i agree that it's not the most subtle movie and that's yeah. why I don't think it ends up as fincher's best but it's Great storytelling. It's just very straightforward. Uh, you know, will the effects last the test of time? There are points where I was taken out by the CGI when Benjamin is young, but with his super old face. There are a couple points where you can really see the computer Uh in action, and I think that'll only become
0: more evident. Yeah, but it's, but I remember watching this movie in the theater and I was amazed. At the digital well, didn't effects, didn't it win the Academy Award for for digital effects? For probably makeup or makeup. Well, makeup is one thing; digital effects are a completely different thing. But, uh, but I was amazed at the digital effects in this movie uh, when it came out. And you're right they they haven't aged super well. Because um, because yeah, there's some old timey stuff. I, I think we're more used to seeing CGI characters at this point, and so we could kind of spot those unc- uncanny valley differences but uh, but for the most part yeah the the makeup was really great. I thought that the way that they made up Kate Blanchett in the hospital room was really good. um how did you feel about that whole kind of I call it the princess bride thing of uh of oh the the story, yeah, the narrator kind of
1: telling the story The actual narrative yeah. versus the narrative that we're witnessing mm-hmm. It's all right i we've reached the point where. I'm not as, you know, I've, we've all, we've seen big fish. We've seen this, we've seen the the princess bride it's all right. But I think that nowadays I demand a little bit more about what's happening outside of the, that moment, yeah. you know, in the, in the present, I seeing some sort of plot advance or some sort of story being told there as well. Um, and telling your child that their parent, <laughs> their, their father was a backward aging man yeah. who in reality left them, uh, when she was very young. He was a neglectful he father. Was I don't think we should. Yeah. He massive was massive asshole. Yeah. And I'm glad that everybody, uh, came to terms with that, but that doesn't change the fact that he just took off. He was, and, uh, he was a piece
0: of shit, dude. <laughs> I think that's yeah. the thing. Like, you have all these warm fuzzies about this this movie. The movie for me kind of fell apart when he left. I was like, Yeah, well, and, and then it, he came back it, as the young man, and then she like meets him in his hotel room and they have a night together, and I'm like, This isn't fucking romantic. This is gross. Like, this guy is an asshole who left his family so he could go gallivant around the world and you know, find his inner Zen and then she pops up. And he's not like he's not like weirdly young when he shows back up again. It's like you probably could have told your daughter that you have this weird medical condition and she could have comprehended that. And yes, maybe in her 20s you'd be like a a young boy, but I think that you could have gotten her through her formative years as a father and not skirted your responsibility here. That I think that's the problem with that's my problem with this movie is that it, it comes across as this very romantic tale, but that whole plot point just freaking like turned me off a lot that he gets on his motorcycle and rides away. And especially because he's just mimicking the same thing that his father did to him. Like he's not breaking the cycle. He's not growing uh, as a person. He's just doing exactly what was done to him as a kid. See, that's where I I agree he's a piece of shit. Mm -hmm.
1: It didn't break the story for me because real life sucks. People are terrible. People make bad decisions. Uh, And so when you get to the, if the daughter had accepted it, if she had shaken it off, but she gets pissed at her mom, her mom who is dying. Yeah. And she straight up goes, why are you telling me this here? Yeah. You're a terrible person for this. So I think the, you know, and I was ready. I was, I was pulling the pitchfork out from behind the couch (laughs) when her when it reveals because i was as the story was being told i was trying to remember if benjamin button was her father i couldn't remember from the first time i watched mm-hmm. but i had an inkling yep. that it was and i was like this is so dumb but when she got upset i set it back down and went, all right she's defending herself in this instance from this totally stupid situation <laughs> um and at the same time it it is it's a it's a story about stories it is these yeah. l- just little nuggets of lives that really i mean we could if we saw a movie that was about a tugboat driver mm-hmm. and a guy who made buttons who had to deal with that and a clockmaker who lost his son in a war and this nice lady whose name he can't remember which is a shockingly endearing storytelling mechanism that she was so profound for a character who doesn't have a name and we have people in our lives like this movie is also benefiting from the fact that I just got a bunch of boxes of stuff from (laughs) all my life like from my childhood that I just packed away when I was 20 and left in my parents basement and I was going through it last night and it was I mean it is like you look back and I think the nice thing about the powerful thing about this kind of storytelling is it validates your own experiences because you can encompass your own life in these little stories of people that you've met. Mm. And I think Fincher was such a good, if you look at the history of trying to make this film, he talks about the difficulty of the, the digital aspect of it and finding the money and the technology and getting to that sweet spot where they could achieve what they wanted to visually He is an excellent choice of directors. He is so careful about his shots, about what he is highlighting. And we're getting, we're getting the character of New Orleans Mm. really well Mm -hmm. defined in this and how the story kind of revolves around home. Mm -hmm. And he, I think there are a few directors that could, that could get that precise amount of that subtlety in there.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I think, I just think it's kind of an odd departure for him, but at the same time, uh, that's what makes it so interesting to me uh, is that, is like, what prompted him to want to make this movie? Um, And what prompted him to put all this time in this, especially coming off of Zodiac? Completely different movie. (laughs) Very, very different in so many ways. Covers a very similar time. Frame actually, Benjamin Button covers more time than Zodiac does. Zodiac only covers about thirty years. Thirty years? Only about twenty years. Actually, nineteen sixty nine to ninety one. About twenty. Um. So he covers a much wider time frame in this movie than he does in Zodiac. It just, it really is a head scratcher to me as to why he decided to make this decided to make this movie at this time. Because you see, he goes back. I mean, after this, he's got the Social Network, which I'm very very excited to watch again. Um, which is kind of, I think it'll be really interesting to watch that movie in context of Ben Button. But then we go to Girl with the Dragon Tattoo and Gone Girl, which are two novel adaptations of very popular novels. Um, so, And this was a adaptation, I believe, of a short story by F. Scott Fitzgerald. Uh, but I think they took a lot of liberty and added a lot of stuff into it. I think you pointed out, though, at the end of Zodiac,
1: he stuck that landing Mm -hmm. with a non with a low energy climactic ending. Mm -hmm. And I think this movie is a series of endings, a series of anticlimactic endings as we as these people come into the life and then pass on before Benjamin Button does. As he's getting younger, you know, that's part of the curse of his life and i think we again i think he is evolving in his ability to tear a narr- tell a narrative we're going from condensed stories that like panic room we talked about it being a one ro- a, it could be a one room play yeah. and now he is telling these he's he's dragging these stories out over such a long period of time and he's able to maintain the narrative and the intensity within it i think mm. it's this is in Pokemon terms. He has evolved into f-
0: Fincherito <laughs> from just regular old Fincher. Is that a uh, psychic Pokemon? What what class is that? <laughs> Not sure. I
1: think I think he's a a dark psychic. Mix. Um, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I mean, but I mean, you hear that? Like that's. I think you talked about him splitting his career in half, and I think this is. He's ramping up. He's cl- he's going uphill to start phase two. Hmm.
0: I, I, yeah, maybe. I I think that uh, this movie is it's interesting in the fact that it's really different in that it expands out. Most of his movies really, up to this point, kind of start in a very claustrophobic place and then get more and more claustrophobic, and the tension builds and builds and builds until you have this kind of big climax. And you're right that pressure valve kind of pressure cooker type of movie kind of dissipated with Zodiac because Zodiac is more of... It's got those pressure cooker situations, but it kind of diffuses at the end. It doesn't get more and more tense as the movie goes along. It actually becomes less and less tense as the movie goes along. This movie, similarly, is starts in a very small place. It starts with a baby being left at an old folks' home, uh, and growing up in a very sterile environment uh, that a lot of people neglect today. I mean, no, nobody. a lot of people don't really think about, like, the retirement homes, <laughs> the retirement communities, especially the retirement communities in the in 19-teens and 1920s. So it starts in this very, like, kind of small place. It starts in this basement uh, at the bottom of this old folks' home and then gets bigger and bigger, and the world gets bigger and bigger as we go along. So it is... Like you said, it's a different take and it is kind of going uphill in that it it goes from this claustrophobic place where Fincher was at the beginning of his career into a much more expansive place with with The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. One of the things I thought was interesting with the cinematography in this movie is that, and I only notice this because I have a plasma screen and so there's a glass front on it. So I get glare on it from my uh, windows And so it's really hard to see dark scenes, which has been super fun to watch Fincher movies because they're all super dark. Um, But this movie gets brighter and brighter as it goes along. Uh, Because on my TV, if you're watching a bright scene, you can see it really easily. If you're watching a dark scene during the day, it's harder to see it because of the glare on the TV. So just noticeably, as the movie went on and on, the scenes get brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter. As we move into a more modern era, as there's more electricity, as there's more light, as uh Benjamin Button becomes a more enlightened individual, it becomes a brighter and brighter film. So I thought that was an interesting dynamic as well. It's not only done uh through the storytelling, through the vignettes, but also through the cinematography. Well, and then throw on top of that the music updating as we go
1: along. We you know, we start with uh an older form of jazz and then it kind of updates. And then we get into rock and roll when Benjamin and, uh, Kate Blunt when Daisy Mm -hmm. move into like their little duplex together, Beatles going. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was nice. It was really well integrated and it wasn't overly done. A lot of it felt diegetic, even in the sense Mm. of, because it's New Orleans, you are not, necessarily surprised by music in the streets. Have you ever been to New Orleans? I have not. It highly recommended. This movie does a great job of using that as backdrop. It really It's it's a stellar place and it's really active all the time. And there's I think the the party element for those that come and visit is a little bit trashy and unfortunate. But it's a beautiful town that's really been through quite a few tragedies now in the in the near past and i really one of the things i've enjoyed from interviews is how much brad pitt makes a point out of what happened uh with hurricane katrina and i was it was an interesting and i think a a good choice to place that at the end of the movie Mm. with the death of daisy because it does it even makes while i didn't think we had a full uh story told outside of the benjamin button in her reading it does place it in time and it mm-hmm. does essentially kick off another tale and kind of incorporate a really a tragic moment into you know like we said like this movie not every this is not this is a romantic movie, but it's not always happy and I
0: think- yeah I mean it goes from a romantic movie into uh a tragedy i think once once Benjamin leaves and leaves the family and they all have to and he leaves Daisy to try to pick up the pieces um you know writes him a check basically and and gets out the door and goes and becomes a drifter for a while uh to almost like a horror movie too like seeing <laughs> uh it makes you think about aging so much and then seeing Kate Blanchett on the deathbed, you know, wheezing as she dies for over two hours and 45 minutes. Um, and seeing kind of that, uh, that strange sadness, um, around the, the potential that someone once had and, and having that potential, you know, all, all be gone. I thought that's, that scene at the swimming pool is really interesting because, when Brad Pitt walks in and, you know, Daisy's really sad because she sees a young athletic woman swimming. She uh, is is opining after her a uh, lost youth and, and what happened with the accident. And then Brad Pitt's like, you know, you can only be a ballet dancer for so long. Like you would be done at this point anyway, even if there weren't a car accident. She's like, yeah, you're right. I mean, this thing of age catching up with everybody is really interesting. And even for Benjamin, even though he ages backward, AIDS catches up with him and he becomes a seven-year-old with dementia, which is a horrifying thought in its own right. Uh, It really, when he turns around at that piano mm -hmm. and just does not
1: register anything, that's... Oh, man. (laughs) I like to end this movie with her wheezing on the bed and then I slowly turn it over to... Another screen that is beginning to play Guardians of the Galaxy, and then I just roll over into Guardians of the Galaxy. What? Just, <laughs> that's Chris Pratt's mom
0: dying. Oh, yeah. And then he gets abducted,
1: and then I get a happy movie. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I do. I did, I did ultimately have warm fuzzies at the end of this because of that little capper that they put on the end, which is a strange way to end a movie, you know? I, I'm trying to remember what movie it was. I don't really remember the name of the movie, but I remember watching a movie when I was a kid and there was like, I think it was about like this dog and like throughout the movie, the dog goes and visits like all of these people and then at the end of the movie, the dog is in, like a, it might be a kid or a dog, I don't remember, but like the, it's like they're like in a hospital room and like all the people come in who they interacted with during the whole movie and they kind of like pan across them um, to like recap the last that was probably like 80 minutes that you saw because it was a kid's movie so i thought that capper at the end of this was really interesting for like a major hollywood film to be like here's a little capper of six uh portraits of people and that's the end of the movie um and i mean seeing benjamin die was was uh you know sad in its own right as well for and he's a baby which is like come on assholes don't show me that <laughs> for some reason i because i had a vague recollection of this movie i'd only seen it once before and it was in the theater i thought that benjamin like disappeared <laughs> just, i thought he like jedi'd out that's a fincherism making you remember
1: scenes that don't exist That's true. <laughs>
0: well because like i thought like you know because like babies they come from kind of nothingness like how how far do you age as a baby if you have backward aging syndrome? Yeah, I don't. You just you must you just age till you're a newborn age. Like, but you probably don't want to go too far past that. Uh, I was just yeah. For some reason in my mind, I thought that he like disappeared, but I guess he did not. <laughs> uh, another fincherism for this one. I think we need to keep an out an eye out for this. He likes to stylize. Maybe maybe this is a studio choice, but it, I think fitcher has got to have some input on it. Is stylizing the studio intros at the beginning of the movie, because during Zodiac they had showed like the Paramount logo, and the Paramount logo was like the old time Paramount logo from like nineteen sixty nine. So oh. it like sets you up, uh, you know, to to like go it right into that era of nineteen sixty nine. And this one, all of the. All of the logos. There was a Paramount one, and there was a Warner Brothers one. They were made out of buttons because it's Benjamin Button. You get it? Oh, that's it. <laughs> I didn't get it. Did you just sit there going, "How
1: curious? How curious? The Where bat- did this buttons? button idea come from?" Yes.
0: <laughs> so that's something to look out too for in the future. I think is uh, is what they do with those with those logos. I always like to keep an eye out for that stuff. Disney does that from time to time with their Disney logos. Yeah. So. Uh, I like to keep an eye out for that stuff. Um, let's. Uh, w- one of the things about this movie is that it's funny too. Like, I think this is David Fitcher's funniest movie, especially in the early going when Benjamin is is a tiny old man. There's a lot <laughs> of like pretty funny stuff in there, uh, but there's stuff that carries through, like the guy who gets struck by lightning seven times, which is
1: hands down just the the best recurring joke. Yeah. That they make.
0: And I love that they shot it like with old timey, you know, in an old timey style. One of the things that came across is I feel like digital effects or digital filters on things were a little bit of a novelty when this movie came out in 2008. And now there's like digital filters on every Instagram photo and like it's super easy to just plop this stuff on whatever you want. And so when they were doing those kind of old timey flashbacks using old-timey filters it did seem a little bit contrived to me but i think that's just a byproduct of the era that we now live in because i think at the time it didn't like specifically when they go back and they show the clock being made i was kind of like this filter is a little too much uh we did get that in the game though although that wasn't a filter that was they
1: must have actually how'd they Okay, so back up. When we started the game, <laughs> uh-huh. we get the old-timey footage of him, his ah, father, yes. jumping from the roof. Yeah. But I don't think that was shot digitally. No, they
0: probably shot that just with straight-up, like, Super 8 film. They just dug out an old... Yeah, or like a little 16-millimeter film. Yeah, probably.
1: Yeah, because that didn't feel as as cheesy mm-hmm. as this did. Yeah. But that was also telling the story in a different
0: way that didn't have as much information to convey yeah it's i i don't know i thought it was fine and i really liked because this is definitely a light-hearted movie it's a little bit more lighthearted than the rest of them uh i like to get the, i liked getting the guy struck with lightning and i liked how they had the payoff there even though it was a little earnest and mildly heavy heavy-handed but you know The thing of, you know, God is just telling me that I'm lucky to be alive. He keeps reminding me that I'm lucky to be alive, that sort of thing. Um, You know, there's a lot of kind of soulfulness to this movie. And I think that's ultimately what makes it a feel-good movie, even though there's some kind of disastrous stuff in it that makes you really scratch your head. Specifically, Benjamin leaving. I just hated that. I really hated it. It made me really dislike this character that I had been investing in for two hours at that point.
1: What did you think of brad pitt's follow-up character to meet joe black where he was <laughs> he, he does this thing okay you yeah see, think of him in something like mr and mrs smith where he acts like a
0: human being yeah
1: and then we get him in this where regardless of the age of the character mm-hmm. he's always very quiet and thoughtful well
0: i put it, what i call it is aw shucks i mean i thought he was pretty <laughs> aw shucks in this movie like, oh, shucks, I'm just this guy dude, trying to make my way through the world. And I'm, uh, you know, uh, like, you're like, you're a war veteran, dude. Like You came back, you saw some serious shit in World War II. Uh, maybe be a little less, you know, wide-eyed at the world. He's so wide-eyed the whole time. Maybe that's his, maybe that's what this is. It's not that the case itself is curious. It's that Benjamin is curious.
1: <laughs> well hmm. maybe that's part of the issue i have with the neglectful father act mm-hmm. at the finale yeah he's already been out into the world yeah, once what is this well there was this thing. i need to see more of it uh, yeah. let's do it again and leave this child to deal with yes themselves
0: this and the whole Ashok's thing of like i haven't seen the world i've only been to norway and england and uh russia, russia. and everywhere <laughs> Like, yeah, it's there was a little bit of the of the doe eyed like uh, naivete that I feel like could have like I thought it was great when he was an old man. Everybody loves a cute old man, but it got a little old when he you know basically at the Robert Redford age. Uh, <laughs> like, Robert Redford is an age for you. That's just a yeah,
1: a general. I don't know. Holder. Robert
0: Redford ain't looking too great. This at this time of year. But yeah, because he's old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what is it? Was Captain America Civil War. Was he at Civil War? Or was that the Winter uh, Soldier? He, that was the Winter Soldier. Uh, Winter Soldier. Yeah, he had a face like a waffle iron in that thing. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> it's alright. None of us none of us are beautiful forever, Levi. Yep. Um except oh, for Brad man. Pitt, apparently. Yeah, he just he's,
1: Well and Talk about Kate Blanchett really lucking out. You get somebody who gets younger and more attractive mm-hmm. over time.
0: Yeah, I I guess that was the thing is that Brad Pitt's character is so doe-eyed in this movie, and maybe am I even using that term correctly? I don't know. Uh, I'm not. It's, it's he's fixed. very odd. He, he's very
1: cute. He's a sim. So even in that regard, he looks like a. Doe. He does.
0: He looks like a. He cute looks cute like a doe. cute little doe uh he's a simple man and then Kate blanchett i mean you know she's she's i I felt like she was doing fine i, I guess I, I part of me was like i don't really like her character but she was like we got to see her at to certain points in her life where she's like trying to find out who she is and um you know she establishes an identity as this dancer and then it's stolen from her and so she prematurely has to come to terms with her uh, capabilities as a human being when she's at the peak of her career. So, I guess that's fine. I, I like I mean that's that's the average human experience yeah. though. Yeah. Like you have your peak. Yeah. And how do you
1: <laughs> manage the after? And she happens to come out of it. She yeah. raises a kid who seems to be fairly intelligent and emotionally stable because she doesn't like being left by her father and surprised with it on her grand on her mom's deathbed. Yeah. Uh, you know, and she she starts teaching dance because she enjoys it; it's her specialty. So mm-hmm. why not share that? Even when you can't compete, because it
0: it does eventually you lose right that ability, and that's okay. I wish that happened. I wish she would have become like a choreographer or something. And I guess she probably is a type of choreographer. She runs dance school, but uh, you know, all of those people that she was talking about, they weren't. They were probably past their prime, and they decided to start companies and choreograph and that sort of thing um i guess in that way benjamin kind of tied her down a little bit um well and they and their relationship
1: evolves mm -hmm. in a really i think genuine what is a genuine way where you know their time apart is really has a profound impact on their time together and that's it's fascinating as someone who did the long distance thing for a very long time (laughs) who had a relationship while being very independent for five years with lots of traveling separately, uh, you know, that stuff is, it's important. And it's really that time that you spend away from one another and then come back together. That's, it can be very powerful and that, oh, yeah. especially when you come back together and you have, you've had those experiences. You do not, you do not begrudge one another for having closed doors earlier mm-hmm. You know, like, if you didn't get to travel or do a year abroad because you were married and you couldn't do both of you a year abroad, I mean, that's something that could – it's defining. Benjamin, yeah. he makes – he has the line towards the end of the movie that uh, sometimes it's the what was it? Um, I had it up here a second ago. Our lives are defined by opportunities, even the ones, even we, the miss. ones we miss. Yeah. So in choosing to not take an opportunity, you make decisions. And I think yeah. that – the evolution of them being friends and then him being gone and then them meeting again. And then, you know, where they try to get together, but it doesn't quite work out. Cause he's ambushed her well in a really th-
0: weird but way. But they both do that. I mean, there's, there's the, there's the scene where he kind of rejects her, uh, at least sexually for the night when she's at the gazebo and she's visiting new Orleans. Um, and then there's the scene where she rejects him at the same time. Um, you know, we tried to drop in on her life and she wasn't quite ready for that at that point. Uh plus I feel like that was Benjamin at his ugliest. <laughs> I don't know what it well, was about I think it was just the uh the 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 you know liver spots on his forehead when he went and saw her. But I think, you know, she was just waiting for she's just biding her time. She's like this guy's gonna be really hot in about ten years. <laughs> just gotta lay it out. Yeah. I wanna meet in the middle. <laughs> yeah
1: i thought That's uh, the, yeah i really did enjoy romantic line number one of the charts for 2008 sleep with me absolutely really getting to the point i
0: actually i went and saw this movie with my parents uh and i do remember that line in the theater when she goes sleep with me and he goes <laughs> absolutely and the theater like broke into applause
1: i don't <laughs> meanwhile a young eric Walquist is climbing up his own ass <laughs> sitting next to his parents
0: yeah it was uh well i mean it was 2008 at that point i was uh oh
1: that's true i guess
0: you're a grown
1: adult in 2008
0: uh post-college but another thing about this movie and lydia called this out my wife called this out was that uh no sex it's, it's this is one of the uh this is one of the don't show things with david fincher which I think, in some ways, makes it a little bit more romantic. Um, it's also a PG thirteen movie for David Fincher, and this might be his first PG thirteen movie. Is it the only? Uh, I guess Social Network is
1: PG thirteen, probably. Yeah,
0: definitely. I want to look. But this it's up. a it's a short list. Well, I'm pretty sure this is his first one. I'm not. I mean, maybe Panic Room.
1: What? Was... Uh, no, Panic Room must have been R. Yeah, there's a lot of swearing. You're right. A lot of f bombs
0: yeah anyway um i'm I'm sure we could find this somehow but i'd rather read something else from the internet uh oh here we go social net yeah okay uh social network and the curious case of benjamin button are the only pg-13 ones i believe everything else is r interesting okay uh moving on Uh, question answered question answered i'd like to read the plot of the short story because it is short
1: Ooh, i would love to hear this this. is according
0: to wikipedia may 27th 1922 is when it was published by f scott fitzgerald uh originally published in collier's magazine we all subscribe to that still of course uh and it was subsequently uh (laughs) anthologized anthologized Sound it out, children. Anthologized in his book, (laughs) Tales of the Jazz Age. Uh, So, anyway, this is the plot. In 1860, Baltimore, Benjamin is born with the physical appearance of a 70 year old man already capable of speech. Does that mean that he was a full grown man? Because that's that's rough justice. It's like the uh, Will Ferrell sketch where he comes out of the womb. (laughs) It's hot (laughs) in there. So damn hot. His father, Roger, invites neighborhood boys to play with him and orders him to play with children's toys, but Benjamin obeys only to please his father. At five, Benjamin is set to kindergarten, but is quickly withdrawn after he repeatedly falls asleep during child activities. When Benjamin turns 12, the Button family realizes that he is aging backwards. At the age of 18, Benjamin enrolls in Yale College, but is sent home by officials who think he is a 50-year-old lunatic. Uh... They definitely are less discriminatory in today's world, I would say. If you're a 50-year-old lunatic and you got the coin, you can totally go to Yale. Yep. Uh, In 1880, when Benjamin is 20, his father gives him control of Roger Button and Company, wholesale hardware. He meets the young Hildegard (laughs) Moncrief. Glad they changed her name to Daisy. Uh, (laughs) A daughter of General Moncrief, and falls in love with her. Hildegard... Mistakes Benjamin for a fifty year old brother of Roger Button. She prefers older men and marries him six months later. What? But but remains ignorant of his condition. Years later, Benjamin's business has been successful, but he's tired of Hildegard because her beauty has faded and she nags him. Bored at home. Wow. He enlisted the Spanish American War in eighteen ninety eight and achieves great triumph in the military, rising to the rank of lieutenant colonel. He retires from the Army and focuses on his company and receives a medal. Maybe a little tie there with, uh, with Teddy Roosevelt, who was in the film. He was a rough rider in the Spanish-American War. Uh, in 1910, Benjamin, now looking like a 20-year-old, turns over control of his company to his son, Roscoe, and enrolls at Harvard University. His first time there, <laughs> his first year there is a great success. He dominates in football. I guess so. You know, you got, football and scoring chips. got that tactical mind in the 20-year-old body. Because he's rich. Yeah. Uh, dominates in football and takes revenge against Yale no for way. rejecting him years before. <laughs> uh, however, during his junior and senior years, he's only 16 years old. Too weak to play football and barely able to cope with academic work. After graduation, Benjamin returns home only to learn that his wife has moved to Italy.
1: <laughs> what is this story? This
0: is F. Scott, baby.
1: This is the worst. He lives
0: with Roscoe, who treats him sternly and forces Benjamin to call him uncle. As the years progress, Benjamin grows from a moody teenager into a child. Eventually, Roscoe has a child of his own, and who later attends kindergarten with Benjamin after kindergarten Benjamin slowly begins to lose memory of his earlier life. His memory fades away to the point that he cannot remember anything except his nurse. Everything fades into darklish, darkness shortly after. And that is the story. So pretty much scene for scene with this movie. That's
1: why this movie has been in like some form of production since 1980. Because yeah. somebody needed to write a different story
0: yeah. entirely. Yeah. That was crazy. Holy so Davy Mack dug that up. He said that... Uh, He said that this movie's been kicking around since the 80s. At one point, it had Frank Oz to direct with Martin Short starring. That would have been a different movie. Yep. But Frank Oz, I think that he would have had some cool makeup effects. Who's Frank Oz? Frank Oz is Yoda. You dumb dumb? Oh, I thought that was like a director. Mm. Well, no, Frank Oz did direct some stuff, but he was really in with um, Jim Henson's gang. Uh I know he directed a few things. Um, but uh but yeah, I'd imagine there might be some puppetry involved. Which could be very fun. Yikes. Uh then we got Spielberg and Tom Cruise. That would have been interesting.
1: I feel like Spielberg, yes, Tom Mm.
0: Cruise. eh.
1: Although, you know what? Now I back up and think about it. Tom Cruise was Brad Pitt
0: just at a different point in the timeline. Eh, I feel like tom cruise is definitely a little more action oriented than brad pitt is because the mission impossible stuff made him like a little bit more of an actiony guy yeah but i think that's his choice Mm -hmm. based on his
1: success i think prior earlier tom cruise would have just he
0: wouldn't have had it it's steven spielberg so you obviously answer that phone call and do what he tells you but how does that not get made spielberg and cruise tied to a movie how does it not get made Probably the makeup budget, yeah. And then, <laughs> and then the most interesting combination he says is Spike Jones directing with Charlie Kaufman writing. That could have been really interesting, like uh, definitely more of a psychological thing. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I, I I like I said, I'm super surprised. Actually, that's the one thing that I, I just can't get over is that David Fincher made this movie. Based on his entire canon so far and since, it is so strange to me that David Fincher chose to make this movie. I think because this movie is so earnest in a lot of ways, and it's got a lot of those like lines, you know, our lives are defined by opportunity, even the one we, even the ones we miss, you know, like these these very like earnest movie lines. Uh, it just doesn't seem like a Fincher movie, and so that's that's what I think is so fascinating about it to me. I think that's what makes it. A really, really enjoyable is watching it,
1: you know, in the continuum of Fincher films, mm-hmm. he has had, he has been able to pull out these really great, uh, act, uh, with mo- he can get actors. He's able to direct actors mm-hmm. in such a, like you said, earnest, yeah, sort of genuine, this genuine way. And I think that applying it in such a different context now where it's the tension is, much less, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's it's impressive. He's stretching. This is kind of you know, put your arms out, stand <laughs> up, walk around a little bit, and you know, show that he's not. It's not just he doesn't have to just be Hitchcock. He yeah. can do other things. And I think with Blanchett and Pitt, uh, I think he really gets like you said. It's it's it feels genuine and nice, and that's what. Mm-hmm. I think that's what makes it so catch me off guard. You know, that's what yeah. gets me emotionally with this movie is that I, I believe, you know, when he carries his father to the, the river and talks about letting go right. of, you know, I, I buy that, that despite the fact that his dot, his dad was an asshole and he's about to repeat that. Uh, he believes in the end that you have to, to let go of those things. And I think that part of the reason that that's, Perf- that works is because i i'm bad at it but i agree with it i think it is i think it's true i think if you want to live a less stressful life you just can't let the small
0: stuff get to you yeah you know? yeah i there's a lot of that stuff in here i think that this movie deals with fate quite a bit i mean there are a ton of funerals in this movie uh i do think it's interesting when Kate blanchett's daughter asks her you know are you scared when she's about to die she goes no nah, i'm curious Curious to see what's on the other side. And of course, you know, Kate Blanchett's basically witnessed a gigantic miracle that uh that uh you know that that basically proves supernatural abilities that this baby was born old an old man and comes back a young man. So I feel like in this supernatural world she totally believes in an afterlife and is ready to go and figure out what that's gonna be. The other thing that I thought was interesting is I really feel like this movie touches on how death is, you know. I personally I feel like you shouldn't really be afraid of death. I feel like you should be much more afraid of other people dying, of the people you love dying, because it's much worse for them than it is for you. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Yeah,
1: it's a um, there's a a, in my notes I have an arrow Mm
0: -hmm. between love and then pointing to loss. Yeah. it's a, it is. That's the theme. Yeah, I don't think I was eloquent in the way that I said that. I don't, I'm don't. i not <laughs> saying that other people dying is worse for them than you dying. I'm saying that when the people you love die, it's worse for you than when you die. Because but you you're lose... you the one that has to deal with it. Yeah, you're the one who has to deal you're with it. You're still here. You're the one who has to deal with that loss. And so I feel like that gives you a lot of comfort about yeah. the end of your life is that it's really the burden is lifted off of you and it is put onto the people you love. Maybe that's something to be worried about, but ultimately it's going to be worse for the people who love you. Um Maybe that's a point to just make sure that nobody loves you at the end of your life. And then you're not put- making any ripples. <laughs> so abandon your daughters, exactly. take to the road like Steve jobs, yeah, Just the go real to real life,
1: India. Benjamin button, abandon your child, go to India. <laughs> send him some
0: money. I guess he didn't send he money. He basically Jules from Pulp Fiction did. <laughs> yeah, he was a bum. He was a bum. <laughs> was just walked the earth like Cato.
1: Do you think that... that would do you agree with the even that Fincher is the most thematic director that we've had so far? That he has hmm. been able to really choose these themes and drive home? I think Edgar Wright...
0: What do you mean by some, thematic?
1: If you just look through... Uh, and Benjamin Button is really, I think, one of the more profound cases. But mm-hmm. the idea of love and loss in this film is so powerful. Whereas, mm-hmm. and, you know, it's it's almost a, a moral tale mm-hmm. of how, you know, it's trying to give you the tools to understand and deal with the death of loved ones. Uh, you know, but Tarantino isn't trying to make those points. Maybe theme is the wrong choice of words. But, you know, yeah. Like, yeah. Guillermo del Toro had it too. I, I think guess.
0: Guillermo. I would say Guillermo del Toro is a little bit more of a soulful director in turn in the terms that his personal works, Chronos, uh, uh, um, Devil's, Devil's backbone, backbone, Pan's Labyrinth, Crimson Peak, they are personal to a point that I don't really understand them fully <laughs> from a thematic perspective, <laughs> which makes me think that he's a little bit more well crafted in that because he's above my intellectual capability maybe he's up above everybody else's because he's living in a part of his brain that nobody can access i don't know but i will say that fincher i feel like probably has the broadest range uh because he does it so expertly yes del toro did some action movies were they anywhere near the the heightened i mean i wouldn't call fight club an action movie at all but like these kind of heightened thriller experiences that I feel like del Toro tries to get and maybe gets bogged down in the style a little too much. Fincher pulls him off really effectively. I would watch basically any movie that Fincher directs in any genre because uh, I feel like he's got that master's hand when it comes to cinema. And he he this movie, I guess, proved it to me more than any other, is that he is a chameleon that... You know, Seven and Fight Club, sure, they have some thematic things, some visual things that kind of are similar. But at the same time, they are completely different movies. And you could say that about Zodiac. All these movies are really different, yet somehow they still carry that stylistic theme that Fincher always has. So I do think he has the broadest range of any of the directors that we've covered so far.
1: I really want to see him get another aliens i want to see him just redo <laughs> aliens 3 however
0: he wants oh, wow. to do it wouldn't that be interesting if that was his last movie <laughs> he just caps it off caps yeah book he bookends it Alien, alien 3 <laughs> and alien 3 <laughs> that would He's be so great. good
1: get sigourney weaver back in
0: it in
1: her
0: last movie i think at that point you could probably completely digital re- digitally replace her <laughs> um <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's what it's come to. Digitally replacing our favorite actors. Uh-huh.
0: Uh this you were correct, by the way. Um, this movie won the Oscar for Best Makeup and Best Visual Effects. Oh. It also won the Academy Award for Best Art Direction. So basically set dressing, that's that type of stuff. Um and it was nominated for just everything that year. It was nominated for Best Picture. Uh Brad Pitt was nominated. Uh, Taraji P. Henson was nominated for her role as uh Pitt's mom. Um David Fincher was directed for Best Director. Or he was <laughs> he was directed. He was nominated for Best Director, Best Writing, Best Cinematography, Best Editing, Best Costume Design, uh, best music, and best sound mixing. So it was basically across the board nominated for just a ton of Academy Awards. Um And I think that's why so many people saw it. I think that's why my parents saw it. I don't think my parents are going to go see Zodiac in the theater, but they're going to go see Brad Pitt in The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Maybe this was his Oscar push. Maybe that's why he made this movie.
1: Maybe this was his response to uh, Tom Hanks' uh, Forrest Gump.
0: Well, it's very Forrest Gumpy in some ways.
1: Yeah, you know, I was flipping through my notes and I saw I think I have one about like oh the the rocket launch when they're yes. sailing in the keys. That's
0: the really heavy handed one. Is the yeah, rocket launch? Like,
1: look, they're at all of these events through time. They're watching the Beatles play character. Ed
0: Sullivan. You know, they're I guess yeah. everybody. That I don't. I guess that's not out of the question. Literally everybody watched the Beatles <laughs> play Ed Sullivan. Um, yeah, and then getting conscripted into World War II. Uh, God, those fifty caliber bullets tearing through the sea captain. That was pretty rough.
1: Oh, they screwed up his art. They screwed up his art. That's the one thing about this movie that I really remembered mm-hmm. is the that character, Captain Mike, yeah. talking about, you know, my dad said I had to be a tugboatman, but <laughs> I am an artist, and tearing off his shirt and being like, so I'm a tattoo. It's really one of my favorite concepts you know Uh that life's gonna push you into some ways that it's difficult to resist yep but as long as you're doing the thing that you love that's what Mm -hmm. matters most and so while he's being a tugboat captain he's all he doesn't
0: give up his art well those are the two profound messages i think that come from the two big characters in this movie aside from Kate blanchett's character daisy is you have the the captain captain mike who is a man who's who's come to live in the moment uh he is you know tied to his vocation in that he literally lives on his vessel but he has been able to find that way to still be an artist and kind of express himself he makes his life his own Uh, and I think there's something to be said about that because this movie is really talking about kind of life philosophies and then I forget her name but uh, Tilda Swinton's character uh, is a woman full of regrets like she basically wasn't she tried to swim the English Channel once it didn't go well and she basically has never tried anything else again in her life and she's just seeking out that adventure and seeking out that excitement but she can never quite grasp it so it's kind of those two dichotomies of those two characters. You have the sea captain who's the impulsive live-in-the-moment guy, and then you have Tilda Swinton's character who's like the reticent uh, person full of regret. And it's great that in the end she actually does end up swimming the English Channel.
1: Yeah, it's um, a nice little... Another one of those little caps. Well, and Doop. in some
0: ways you got to think that in a very Forrest Gumpian way, Benjamin Button meeting her and having that sorted affair uh, has was the catalyst that she needed to get to that point however many years later to actually um achieve that uh that goal that she had set for herself so many years ago
1: hopefully that's what it was hopefully <laughs> otherwise they had a sorted affair and then she got she got it together and chased her goals
0: yeah i don't actually i don't think it was actually sorted i think it was just yeah it was really it was regular <laughs> just a it's just a regular affair. affair. Uh, yeah, but uh, I thought th- thought the whole thing was great, man. I d- I just didn't like that he left. I thought that was a big bullshit move. Well, and it, I maybe and
1: maybe that's where I struggle. Is it feels and maybe that's the a little bit little nod to F. Scott Fitzgerald in the uh-huh. fact that, and a lot of times people with material wealth have. Wealth have difficulty uh, keeping their shit together, (laughs) but uh, you know it's uh, maybe it's a harder story to write where he stays and also deals with a child. But I think in that instance, just not have a child. You know, just tell a weird story, and he just doesn't. You know, I don't. I don't know. I think. What do you mean, tell a weird story? Because he cuts out. He does this reverse Jesus move, Uh where we get him. Up until he's thirty, and then he kind of falls off a map until he's old, <laughs> yeah, uh, and that gap where he has a kid and he's traveling through India, he just doesn't write anything, yeah, um, or he writes about his adventures, and then when he comes back, but as he ages, he stops writing mm-hmm. um, I don't know, there's just a gap in the story that is sort of explained as he just didn't do anything. Hmm. of import or anything that he felt worth yeah, writing down I mean, those were but it was of, also his guilty time it was yeah. also his kind of walk of shame
0: yeah and I do like that I, I like that narrative switch that happens where it goes from his perspective in the novel to Kate Blanchett Daisy's, car- Daisy's perspective in the journal uh, so it kind of carries over pretty seamlessly between the two Once she gets the book she starts writing in the book which I thought was pretty cool yeah um, yeah I mean ultimately a pretty good film I do think it's interesting because you and I are kind of entering this kind of peak that you get to in your life <laughs> like I think we're on the cusp of that like 20 to 30 year old, 20 to 30 year peak that you get in the middle of your life, and then before that you're kind of young and dumb, and after that you're kind of old and senile. So we're we're in this nice little we're in the we're we're entering the nice part of the bell curve. So I think that this movie kind of speaks to us in that regard. Well,
1: and that I think the movie speaks to a lot of points in life. And mm-hmm. that that was something I pulled from Kate Blanchett in an interview. She talks about the fact that you can watch this movie when you're young, and it talks about following adventures you know taking Mm -hmm. chances and then you know having this point in your life where you come together and you want to remember it you really want to sort of make something of it and that's after that is where it kind of drops off and then it picks back up it's like and then you're old and you die and that sucks but you know that's life and that's how you come to appreciate things is knowing that they end so yeah so I'll watch this again in 20 years and I'll probably still cry but for
0: different reasons. <laughs> for the record, I did not cry at this movie, but you are a big softie, my friend. I am huge, huge soft. All right. Well, <laughs> let's go ahead and uh, call this one a wrap, but uh, we will be on the forums for the next uh, show that we're watching, which is the social network. Very, very excited about this one. I am mean, really, really excited to watch this movie again Um, because I know how much I enjoyed it uh, the last time I watched it. So uh, hopefully you are excited too, listener. Please go to the forums, forums forums.baldmove.com. There'll be a forum post there for the social network. Be a part of the conversation. You can also email us, directpodcast at com. And until next week, I'm Eric. I'm Levi. Cut.